All right, Stephen, thanks for uh, joining. This is uh, being recorded on Friday, March 10th. And um, I guess we'll get into it as we go through these, uh, these different topics here. But if I'm not mistaken, um, when is it, and I, I may not pronounce it right, is it Sendine that they go Sign through the capital? Sign and die, yeah. Is that happening today? It won't happen until March 29th. Um, okay, we, we got more crossover time. day recently, but yeah, the 29th will be the last day of legislative session. Gotcha. Okay, well, we'll back up a second. Um, I had run into your Twitter feed the other day, and uh, one of the topics I believe you were um, tweeting about there were school vouchers. But let me back up, and I'll let you introduce yourself there. Absolutely. My name is Stephen Owens. I'm the Education Director at the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute. We're a nonprofit, nonpartisan research and advocacy organization um, that uh, has a vision of a fair and inclusive Georgia, Georgia where all people prosper. Um, and we try to be anti-racist in that work. And uh, I primarily focus on the state budget in regards to K-12 education. Gotcha. And are you a Georgia native or are you uh, like, well, I'm from South Georgia, but uh, it's very rare to find a native Atlanta metro person. But uh, where were you from there? I uh, grew up in Riverdale uh, and okay. spent um, my time there until fifth grade and we moved to Fayetteville. Um, went to the University of Georgia, spent some time in North Carolina, came back to Georgia to go to grad school and have lived in in town Atlanta since 2015. Okay. Yeah, I would count you as a native Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> I figure once you get past, you know, what Macon, Forsyth, you know, on the south side there, you're, you're kind of no longer native Metro Atlanta. So I, I, I think you're, <laughs> yeah, that feels you're well in the, in the range there. Cool. So, um, again, on your background there, what in the world brought you to, you know, this Budget Policy Institute there? I taught for five years when I lived in North Carolina, and um, they paid for me to go get my master's degree. And while I was there, I realized that I uh, had a preference for the systems uh, that put students um, in certain places and hold some folks back and push others forward. And so I went for my doctorate in education policy and was able to get a job at the Georgia Department of Education while I was finishing up my uh, dissertation and while there, and I, I can't say a bad word about anyone at DOE, I loved my time there and I really appreciate the chances they gave me to analyze the budget and policy while I was there, I realized I wanted to uh, impact state policy, not just enforce uh, what other people were creating. And so when this position uh, became available in 2018, um, I applied and it has been an incredible opportunity uh, to be able to shape uh, a vision of Georgia where public school dollars are used for everyone, not just the few. Yeah, I am a product of all Georgia schools, uh, kindergarten all the way through my undergrad degree, so a master's degree. Um, and I, it, it worked. I mean, I, you know, I have, you know, a job. I'm comfortable. Um, you know, I continue to stay here in the state. Um, and it, it, it works. And I think it's, pretty much working still. <laughs> I have some right. friends. <laughs> I have some friends, you know, in, in public school teaching. Um, one recently, um, you know, stepped back from an assistant principal position. I have another friend that has left teaching 
and I can even think of another uh, friend that left teaching. It's tough. The stories that we see in the news, the stories that they uh, somewhat confidentially share with me about you know what's right. going on there, it, it is not easy. And you know that there's a past episode if you ever get bored. Um, you know, one of my biggest reasons I went and got my master's degree was to be able to teach college, and I did that for uh, a couple of different schools, but that all came to a very, and, and we won't go into it here, but that all came to a very uh, abrupt halt uh, at the time it was uh, Kennesaw State who had just absorbed Southern Poly, um, mm-hmm. and that was one of the reasons I switched gears and I'm doing, you know, the podcasting and, and the new stuff here. So, um but yeah, I, I am a proponent of public schools, and it looks like in the legislature, and you were probably keeping more track of the, the bills than most any of us that are even listening, but this session here in Georgia, where are these private school vouchers, where is this going right now? Yeah, that's the thing that keeps me up night. Um, so for those who don't know, private school vouchers are public dollars. Uh, that are used for private educational expenses. Um, and GVPI has a long-standing opposition to policies like these for a number of reasons, not least of which uh, the fact that we believe that public dollars uh, belong in public schools. Um, and when students take a voucher, what that does is it hurts uh, the school's ability to then serve you know, the vast majority of children who stay. Um, because if one or two kids leaves for a private school, usually these are the, the kids that can afford it already, and so they can afford to, to drive to a private school that might cost twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 a year. Uh, that's just less state funding overall for the remaining students um, because all your costs stay the same. You still have the same number of teachers. You can't cut two students' worth of school bus seats off. You can't um, turn down the heat two students' worth. Um, and so for that, that's one of many reasons that we oppose these. And there have been uh, really two private school voucher bills uh, that we're still watching um, that we're able to cross over, um, which is the day where a bill has to pass out of one cham- chamber uh, in order to be able to be considered to make a law that year. And um, the first one is a smaller uh, one, but still one we take very seriously. It's House Bill 101 that uh, in the, at the last second was amended to include a $10 million increase in one of the two existing vouchers that the state of Georgia has. Um, It's a tax credit voucher where instead of paying your state taxes, you can uh, divert those funds to a tax shelter, which then pays uh, part of private school tuition. That would be a $10 million increase. And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, started Georgia's $30 billion budget. It doesn't sound that much until you talk to teachers who are, you know, pulling money out of their own pockets uh, to help pay for their kids' meals uh, or to buy pencils uh, for low-income kids. Um, and, and the fact that we can, we can have something like that, where another $10 million seemingly comes out of nowhere uh, while the state of Georgia continues to have real challenges, real financial challenges when it comes to our public schools, is really frustrating as an advocate. So that's one. That's House Bill 101. Um, it's just one section of it. It doesn't mean the entire bill is terrible, but that part needs to be taken out, and we need to take a real look um, at how the state spends money um, on private education that way. And then the other, this is the one, 
it really worries me. It's Senate Bill 233. Uh, this is a, a voucher that has no limits on the type of student that could use it. Um, I don't think that they were going to be able to get it passed in the Senate the way it was originally written, which it was going to be a universal voucher. Every single student in the state of Georgia was going to be eligible. It was going to be $6,000 per student in Georgia public education. They had to amend it to offer it only to those schools that are in the bottom 25% of the way that we grade schools in Georgia. Um, that's the bill that passed out of the Senate. Uh, this could mean hundreds of millions of dollars um, funding discriminatory private education while the state of Georgia continues to um, run public schools without any funding to educate students living in poverty. We're one of only six states that has no funding to educate students living in poverty. And so Senate Bill 233 is now in the House. We're waiting to see uh, when and if House education might take it up. Um, but that's the one that, that really worries me um, and that we'll continue to fight against. And, and one just quick feedback. Um, it feels like they make it complicated on purpose. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. It, you're absolutely right. And, and I mean, the crazy thing, too, is that statement applies to so much of the way politics are done in the state of Georgia. <laughs> that there's no reason. We, we're only in session, the, the time when folks can make and pass laws. We're only in session for 40 days. We're the eighth largest state in the richest country in the world. We're passing a $30 billion budget. You're telling me we can't afford to pay lawmakers enough to make this a full-time job? They've got to share secretaries. But it, it is complicated, and, and there's a reason behind it, because the more complicated you make it, the harder it is for your average Georgian to know how to affect power. And so it, it keeps power in the hands of the powerful. So you're absolutely right. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, a statement that you made um, somewhat, uh, we're not going to rewind here, but um, today in Georgia, you know, before any of this going on in the gold dome right now. But today in Georgia, it actually used to be a TV show in South Georgia when I was growing up. But today in Georgia, um, you can get a school voucher today. That's right. We have two vouchers right now. Well, one that uh, $120 million a year is being taken from state, the, the state coffers and going to private schools that can kick kids out for being gay, uh, for being trans. Um, they can refuse to educate students based on um, disability, language proficiency, religion. This is happening today. Um, that's a $120 million voucher program, and then there's a separate voucher for students with special needs. It's called the Georgia Special Needs Scholarship. Um, and, it, and it's hard for me to celebrate some sort of special needs voucher when you consider that when parents take these vouchers, they have to refuse federal protections for students with disabilities in private schools. Um, so what's guaranteed in the public school for individualized education plan, for uh, discipline, for the way you provide curriculum, you have to forego all of that in order just to have the hopes of a good private school education. So yes, we have two vouchers currently. Yeah. And I'm sure, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you guys have, or in the South we would say y'all, uh, that y'all have um, analyzed where this money 
is eventually leading towards. And I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but I can imagine that a lot of the parents that are taking advantage of these current bills, they probably don't need the money. That's exactly right. Um, <laughs> private schools don't have to offer transportation. Um, they don't have to offer free meals for low-income students, um, accommodations uh, to make sure that all children can uh, take advantage of the entire program. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's limited to the few. And then even those who do take it, we have this great research coming out of other states. So Georgia does a really good job of hiding its hand on all this data. Um, we have no idea what schools are using this, uh, are getting these vouchers. We do not know how kids are doing once they go to those schools, and it's all purposeful. Any, any of this could have been added into the bills for the past 15 years. This first voucher was passed in 2008. Um, but we have no real idea, and that's purposeful, and we're starting to see why. If you look at how students did in Indiana, Louisiana, Ohio, with their larger voucher programs, the test score hit you take by taking a voucher to a private school is worse than the dip in test scores we saw as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, it is one of the worst educational interventions we have ever measured. Um, and for some reason, Georgia lawmakers continue to push this as if it's actually going to help people. Does your group also follow the money as far as campaign contributions and not such? I know there are checks written to our folks that are uh, in elected offices, but the lobbying, and I've seen it with other bills that, um, you know, it, you'll, you'll look at different states, Georgia versus others, and you, look, you kind of start reading a bill in one state, and you say, that looks really familiar. I've seen that That's in right. another state. You've got these, I'll call them clearinghouses or lobbying groups, that they have these bills sitting out there. And they're like, yeah, well, if, if you don't want to sit up all night and write a bill, we just got one to copy and paste here. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's a, it's, this is a, a replica of a bill that was passed um, or that they tried to pass last year out of the House. We see very similar bills in South Carolina, Utah, Oklahoma, Arkansas, these states that have never had any desire to pass school choice legislation, we're seeing this just kind of sweep across. Um, and it's not because the people are asking for it. Um, <laughs> when people understand what a school voucher actually does and the impact it has on the local school, it's deeply unpopular. Um, but it has, it has shown to be popular amongst the ruling class, um, that this has somehow become a way to check off your conservative bona fides. Um, and that isn't to say that all conservatives support these. We know a lot of rural Republican lawmakers um, have voted against these in the past in Georgia, and we hope we'll do so again. Um, but yeah, it's not, it's not public outcry that's getting vouchers um, in Georgia. It, it's an uh, intermediary organization. Right. Yeah. And to be fair, uh, we're not talking about charter schools. No, that's a completely separate thing. Charter schools have to accept everyone. Charter schools can't kick you out for being gay. Um, yeah, GVPI doesn't really have a stance on, um, those, uh, on charter schools versus traditional public schools. We just want to make sure that all kids are being served equitably. Yeah. And I, I, I say that because 
again, this is confusing. <laughs> uh, it absolutely yeah. is. I mean, it's, it's so frustrating, too, to watch when you consider Georgia's history. Um, I, I did a little research a couple of weeks ago. Um, when Jimmy Carter was president, um, the school, the, the district that he went to, uh, he helped try to advocate at that district to get them to raise the millage rate. That's the amount that goes in local property taxes because they were getting so – the taxes were so low in that county um, that they didn't have enough money to run schools properly. Um, the New York Times wrote an article about it and found out the vast majority of the school board members sent their kids to local segregation academy. This is right after, you know, integration of schools in Georgia. Segregation academy called Southland Academy. Fast I know where that is. To today, yeah. Southland Academy is getting state funds in school vouchers. It's listed on one of the voucher organizations' websites. They're sending money to Southland Academy. Like, I, I think your average Georgian would recognize that's not, not a good um, history to continue, this idea of segregating students and using state dollars to finance that, something that Georgia first proposed in the 1950s, um, and then we have this, these generations of defunding public schools in favor of uh, segregation based on class or race. And that is not a vision for the future of Georgia that I think many people want. Yeah, Southland Academy, um, you know, as I said, I'm from South Georgia, uh, the Albany area. And when I moved up to America to finish my undergrad at Georgia Southwestern, which actually has ties to Jenny and Roslyn, um, Actually, uh, Mr. King, he was one of the past presidents that passed away, and Jimmy and Rosalind came to his funeral. I was there for that. Wow. And, um, but, but you have in Sumter County in America, it's pretty, and I, I don't want to make this sound racist, but Sumter County is pretty black. It, you have right. a lot of people of color in that county, but you've got Southland that you just mentioned uh, that is the private school in that area. But until now, I assumed that the parents that sent their kids to Southland Academy, they were writing a check, but obviously that's not the case here. Some are, and some are taking public dollars there. And, and that's not something that's limited. Uh, discomfort with funding a segregation academy is not limited to one political party. I remember talking to a rural Republican a few years ago, and, and he talked about how his, just, his distaste at the idea that the state would prop up a failing school like that. And I'm going to call it a failing school because if you can't educate everyone well, and if you're started as a way to avoid integration, that, that's a failure of a school. Um, I don't know why our state lawmakers continue to push these bills that would prop up schools like that. Yeah. Uh, um, and, and while we're here, I mean, I, I assume that the, the statements that you're making, your group does lobby our, our lawmakers here, right? We do, yes. We, uh, we're regularly meeting with lawmakers to show them the economic cost. That's something that GBPI is known for, is that we're always following the state budget, um, but also the impacts to individual students, um, what, what it's like to use state dollars um, to fund a voucher, go to a school that doesn't want you because you're gay. Um, or a school that you don't realize won't offer those federal protections for students with disabilities. Yeah. 
And I'm curious if you're, um, what type of responses? I guess, it, hopefully this legislative session, but maybe in the past couple there, what kind of responses do you get from these elected officials when you approach on both sides? I think, so a lot of rural Republicans that I talk to do not see any use for vouchers whatsoever. They think that this is a suburban issue, um, that it's essentially taking money from rural Georgia and giving it to suburban Atlanta. And they're not wrong. Um, and uh, so that, that's their, a lot of their response is, like, we, we don't want to hurt our public schools um, because they recognize the role that those schools play in, as a pillar in the community. Um, in town, Atlanta lawmakers, I, I think it's a little, uh, like, in town, Atlanta Democrats, I think it's a little bit more split. I think that they're still coming up with, like, what is the Democratic position uh, on vouchers, but usually, you know, they're against them for the reasons of discrimination. Um, and then, then you have just like, who are those suburban Republicans? They, they're usually not going to take my calls. Um, I think some want uh, vouchers for ideological reasons. Some are okay to go along with it because it might be a caucus position. Uh, and, and with those folks, I just try to provide amendments to like, how can we make sure that this thing even if it's going to pass and GBPI is going to be against it, how do we make sure that it actually serves parents well? Um, for instance, Senate Bill 233 uh, that I talked about before um, doesn't require that a private school is even accredited. They can be in the process of accreditation, um, but schools can be in process for a long time, um, and students can graduate and not realize that their degree is useless if it's not accredited. Um, it doesn't require that the teachers have a bachelor's degree. You know, I, I think that there's some common sense, basic level education stuff that people should be able to agree on. And I'll get a positive reception, but then the bill goes to the, the full chamber and none of these things are added in. So maybe that's just more about folks' ability to be nice in person. Well, that, that's a southern thing. I mean, we, we, we typically right. can smile to your face and get behind your back and do something different. So, that, we, we are, as I say, that's the southern thing. Yankees usually know where you stand with a Yankee, but that's uh, for better or for worse how we typically do things down here. Yeah, right. that's very interesting. And, and so, folks that you know, ones that are listening to this, want to get on the bandwagon. Uh, what would you recommend? Um, I mean, obviously, you can use tools. I've mentioned them before, like ResistBot. I'm not sure if, if you're familiar with it. It will geolocate your address, and actually it does all the guesswork for you. It's like, how do I contact these people? And it will send and even call you know, elected officials. But, you know, you, you've been a lobbyist and still are. Um, how, what's the biggest effect? Is there a, a, a story where you won, for example? Yes, absolutely. So one you're absolutely right. Calling your lawmaker is always going to be like the quickest and it's a very effective way to get the voice across, uh, to get your point across because lawmakers have to record uh, phone calls. Um, and so calling your lawmaker first is always going to be very important because you're their constituent and you can speak directly to them. And if you're thinking, oh, my lawmaker's a Democrat, he's going to vote against this. No, everyone needs to, to hear about this bill. Because even if you think your lawmaker will vote on the right side of this, um, they need to be informed of how important this is. Uh, and even if you think your lawmaker will automatically support it no matter what, 
everyone succumbs to peer pressure at some point. Um, and so calling your lawmaker is one. Calling the House Education Committee members, uh, which are listed on the Georgia General Assembly website, that's helpful to um, letting them know that this should not pass out of committee. And then for folks that have a little bit more bandwidth, op-eds in local papers, specifically smaller papers, uh, has shown to be one of the most effective ways to change people's minds. Um, and so I think a lot of people think that the only way we can do something is to, I don't know, put a, a spread in the AJC. Um, but there are a lot of daily periodicals across the state of Georgia which need op-eds, keep it at 800 words, make it a clear, compelling reason why the state should not pass Senate Bill 233 because of the needs you see in your school. Um, that goes a long way. Lawmakers read those things. Um, and so I, I think that that's, that's something I always try uh, to encourage people to do um, because of the research that shows how effective they are. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if you've seen Hamilton, but there was a section in the um, in the musical where it talks about even this is not something new. It's been around since what 1800s or whatever. We had newspapers and type print, but how it can sway, and and you you don't have to, and everything that I've done of political work, you don't have to get a reaction just because a message doesn't have a like, doesn't have a comment on it. People still saw it, and that's right. You know, and, and maybe there was a light bulb somewhere that you know got lit, and uh, it you know it's it's and politics and and uh, democracy is not a spectator sport, uh, contrary to popular. Very well put. And I, I, I think stole too, I stole that from another political channel, but yeah. <laughs> I think some people too are uh, a little paralyzed. They think like, well, okay, I don't know the right thing to say, or what if what does he ask? me what we should do instead, or, or what if she kind of presses me. I, there's this kind of false belief that you're calling into a lawmaker who knows just so much more than you do. And I, I would encourage those people, if they get a chance, to come to the Georgia Capitol and, and meet these lawmakers, because they are, they're dedicated public servants, but they are asked to do a lot. And you could have a lawmaker who knows a ton about insurance because she ran an insurance company in her town, but she doesn't know squat about transportation. Or someone who knows the ins and outs of tax law, but really doesn't know like kind of what the local community wants out of the public school. They, they need to hear from us. And even to your point, even if in the moment you think like, oh, I've got to know everything. No, you just, you just got to have your voice heard. That, that it, they will hear it, even if they push back. That they heard that their constituents are, are not happy with Senate Bill 233, and that goes a long way. So to shift, if, if you want, I think as we talked about it, and, and full disclosure, uh, this is the first time you and I have ever spoken. That's um, right. This, this was not scripted. I, I put some you know, sentences and an invite, and I think you said right before you started recording that that's the first time you'd actually seen it. But none of this is scripted. This is all, you know, uh, I won't say fly by the seat of our pants, but it's, it's what you do every day, and it's obviously something you're very passionate about. And that's I, I, I don't think that a lot of people 
truly know the ins and outs of all this. Um, I guess also for full disclosure, this uh, Budget and Policy Institute, how is it funded? We are given grants from uh, philanthropies and individuals across the state. Um, and so my work uh, is funded partly with the Dobbs Foundation, um, any Casey Foundation, Yellow Chair Foundation. These are foundations that um, see the value of public education and uh, recognize the role of state-level advocacy and uh, will give us some money to, to keep this going. And I really appreciate their patronage. Yeah, yeah. So to, to kind of the, the other uh, tax things that are going on as I'm reading in the news here, there is a, uh, a tax rebate. Um, and then the other topic um, would be the Georgia film industry. Um, I can't remember when we started this, which one was uh, something more you're familiar with. I have some expertise in both. We have a tax and budget analyst on staff and we're, we're not anti-tax cut, uh, GBPI recognizes that we need to put money in the pockets of average Georgians. We just want to make sure that if there are going to be tax cuts, it goes to folks who actually need that money. Sadly, over the last five years, the state has been systematically cutting off itself under the knees, its ability to raise revenue to do the things that we all depend on. Um, so we had, an in we, we had an income tax rate for generations at 6%, which was lowered to 575 recently, was lowered again, and at the last second last year, another income tax rate cut was passed, um, which if it goes into full effect, and it has to get over a few hurdles, if it goes into full effect, we're looking at $2 billion a year taken out of the state coffers. And I know that everyone hates taxes, but we also all depend on the things that taxes pay for. That's going directly to teacher salaries, public health, um, higher education, the criminal legal system, defects, the things that are our safety net for our communities. Um, this, the governor passed or pushed for a, a large property tax rebate because I think we've all seen our property taxes increase with inflation, with the housing market getting as hot as it did. Um, that's a billion dollars that uh, could have gone to uh, our teachers, our bus drivers, custodians, defax workers that we know are leaving in droves. Um, it, it's, it's a very short-term relief that's going to have a long-term hit to the state's ability to do the things that we all want from the state. Uh, and it's a regular it's a regular threat. Thankfully, we don't have any huge tax cuts that w that we're advocating against or trying to slow down right now. But we'll always advocate for uh, tax cuts for working folks, like uh, earned income tax credit, which is for lower income working folks. It's shown to do, do incredible work to lift folks out of poverty. Um, we just want to make sure that when we do cut taxes, we do it in a way that benefits all Georgians, not just the wealthiest. Yeah, it's it, it's so, and and again, I'll say it's complicated. And you know, here we are for you know what thirty five minutes here. If you know people were able to stick with us through this whole thing, maybe they're multitasking. But it's so complicated, and uh, a lot of folks just 
you know, throw their hands up in the air and say, well, well what do I do about it? And so we, we've given you some tools to potentially do something about it. Uh, what's going on here? Um, right. Does your group um, also, you know, you, we've got the film industry and kind of lump them in a bucket, but you've got also these major tax uh, uh, cuts or, well, not cuts, they were uh, incentives to bring folks like Rivian to the state. I think you've got the Archer plant coming uh, for the, um, the electric uh, helicopter flying devices, I'll call them. Um, you've got all of these, uh, well, the other one too was up on 85 with that big battery plant. Uh, that's up right, there. SK Battery, uh, I think. Yeah. Did, is there, and, and maybe you can just refer to the website if there's uh, something out there, but the impact, not only are we talking about, okay, rebating or giving some of this tax money back, but you've also got to at least, and, and I've seen very conservative people, I'm not sure if you watch the Georgia gang every weekend, there's the, you know, the, the staunchly, you know, uh, uh, stereotypical white uh, conservative guy. He's not a fan of a lot of these tax breaks that are given to these companies uh, to come here and locate here. But I'm curious if you have any input or if there's something that your group happens to publish on the impact of all this. We have a few things. Um, and when, when it comes to those special tax breaks uh, for corporations, our biggest thing is why isn't the state, why does it have a systematic way to review if it's actually doing what it's supposed to do? We, we had a review uh, that came out of Kennesaw State, I think, of the film tax credit. showed that we were paying about, in state dollars, about $60,000 for every job it created. That is a huge price tag. Um, that, is, that is money that, uh, yeah, is going to out-of-state corporations, uh, film studios that are based in California. They take, they take the credit, and then they sell it on a secondary market to Georgians to not pay their taxes. Um, and so why don't we have a systematic way to review this of is it actually lifting up Georgians? Because we want, we want that economic development too. Um, but I saw that the Rivian deal was rated by Good Jobs First, uh, another think tank, as one of the worst government subsidies in the nation when you consider just the sheer amount of money that's being handed uh, to basically a speculative investment. We do not know if Rivian is financially viable. Um, they are entering into a market where there are a lot of other electric vehicles, uh, not to mention the fact that like Ford has electric vehicles now. You're going up against a 150-year-old company that's Fortune 500. That, that's a lot. We're giving away a lot of money in the hopes that this turns into jobs for Georgians. Uh, that's something that we need our lawmakers to have a better handle on to see would it be better to uh, increase the amount of public services uh, because that's economic development that goes right into the communities here in Georgia instead of doing some end around where we give it to an out-of-state corporation and hope it comes back to us. So, yes, I can send you some resources on that. Um, but the film tax credit suit uh, specifically, we're over a billion dollars a year is going to film here in Georgia. And so little of that is actually improving the lives of actual Georgians but I think it's worth reviewing, um, is this the best use of these dollars? Yeah, and, and I would, I've known some people in the area that do some of these, I'll call them gigs, um, and it's temporary work. You work on a project for a couple of weeks, maybe a month or two, um, maybe the project took a little longer than that, but 
okay, it's, it's gone. You know, to the post-production now, what do I do now? You know, right. we're becoming, you know, the Hollywood of the Southeast, and a lot of these people, they've learned to trade, or they, uh, it's not just acting that goes into all this. I was on a plane once from here to California and watched a guy edit a scene for the entire four-hour flight, and the scene was only about four minutes. Good. <laughs> um, I mean, I have seen the work that goes into this. It's not just the people in front of the camera. It's a lot of folks behind the camera. And, I'm, and I don't want people to take this and think that I'm discounting what they're doing. I, I, I never want to do that. But these are not, you know, normal jobs. Um, sometimes they're in the evenings or on the weekends. Uh, you're paid on the 1099. There's no unemployment benefits for any of these, for, for a lot of these jobs. And is that really what Georgia should, and I remember the, the, uh, the study that came out of Kennesaw State at 60 grand per job, is that really the kind of jobs that we should be subsidizing? That, it's a, a great question, and one thing I keep coming back to is just how outsized of a tax credit this is compared to other states. Um, I think North Carolina caps theirs at $400 million. Uh, their, their state similar in size and economic development as Georgia. California has reined their, their tax credit in significantly. What, have, what does Georgia know that somehow no other state has figured out? Because if this really was some huge economic multiplier, you would see other states tripping over themselves to get to the same tax credit level that Georgia has. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that the people of Georgia deserve to see how is this money being spent? Is, this, is it better to go to uh, film another Marvel movie here than to have a world-class education system or to have more public transit or public park. You know, like they, these are questions that we deserve to know the answer to. And, and I think that's something our lawmakers should invite the public in to see. Like, okay, what is that economic build, um, development? Because right now it looks mostly like a handout. And I'm not against handouts. I just want them to go to people, maybe not necessarily corporations. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I used to live um, a couple of miles from the New Brave Stadium over in Cobb County. And if you really take what we're talking about statewide and then zoom into Cobb County, you've got, you know, heads rolled over that. You had, um, you know, county right. commissioners that were meeting behind closed doors, um, and they had to have known that what they were going to do. And, and I still say that deal to move the Braves to Cobb County, it was almost like they reached their hand out and closed their eyes. I'm like, I hope they don't take it. I hope they don't take it. And they did because it was such a good deal. And it, it gutted, you know, um, underground Atlanta. You don't have all that traffic going through there from MARTA anymore. And right. we're just all going to get in the car and go Uber over to Cobb County now. I yeah, no, it's it's a question that's worth being answered. Yeah. Well, thanks very much. Um, is there anything else you wanted to get in on the episode? This is probably getting uh, about as long as we need to make this one here. <laughs> Last thing I'll say is that as, as people think about what education looks like in Georgia uh, moving forward, um, that fact I told you about funding to educate students living in poverty. That's, that's one I want to continue uh, to, to hit, is that uh, we need, um, there are a couple bills that lawmakers have introduced. Uh, one is bipartisan uh, to create what's called an opportunity wave. This is, student, this is funding for low-income students who would go to every single school district 
in the state. Um, there's House Bill 668, Senate Bill 284. Both of these bills would create the state's first opportunity wait. Um, and that's, that's what I'm trying to get across is the future of education in Georgia. If you look at our public education system, as you mentioned or alluded to earlier, um, you can get a great education in Georgia. Uh, if you look at how we compare to other states, our, the top Georgians compare in line with world-class states, the Massachusetts, Minnesotas of this world. It's how we treat our low-income students. And the fact that we don't have any money in the budget specifically to educate them shows that we're continuing to set them up to fail. Because if you want something, you got to pay for it. Um, and so I would encourage folks to uh, if you ever get a chance with a lawmaker or with a neighbor, whomever, um, get the word out that we need funding to educate students living in poverty. Um, and, and I think that we're starting to hear some lawmakers actually move on it, which is great. All right. Well, we've been uh, it's a great conversation. I appreciate you taking your Friday afternoon. Um, hopefully, this is still your day job. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <Absolutely. laughs> But uh, taking your Friday afternoon. So, yeah, no problem. <laughs> so this is uh, Stephen Owens from the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute. Um, where would they find out more about what you guys do there? You can go to gbpi.org. That's gbpi.org. Um, and uh, you'll be able to read all of our stuff. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, uh, you can get all the links to that um, or Facebook. Yeah, we're everywhere. Cool. Very good. Well, thanks again. Um, have a good weekend. I don't think we got more rain coming this weekend, but uh, it's a little cooler. But uh, thanks again for taking the time out, and uh, we'll get this published. Thanks so much for having me.